The Truth News Network. What really is the price of freedom? Do you know? Is it the fight to let men into women's bathrooms? The fight to groom children into an agenda in the schools? Or is it the fight to stifle dissent and so-called misinformation? Truth is, it's none of those things. If you'd like to see it, the price of freedom is visible and on display at your local VA hospital. And that's the truth. From TNN, the Truth News Network. And your master of fact is Dan Newman. It's kind of interesting, that reminder we just got from Pete Moss in that intro. What is really the cost of freedom? And yes, we can all look at our local VA hospitals and see these people are those, remember, we don't have conscription here. We don't have a draft. Every member of our U.S. military has volunteered to serve there. You can do the politics. You can take both sides of that. You can blast the leaders in Washington, D.C. that are trying to turn our military into a social organization rather than a military. That's all true. But the people that are fighting, that are out there on the lines, that are watching these missiles come toward them as they're over in places like Iraq and Syria, they're on the outskirts of tyranny, and they're there to keep us safe. Many of them have paid big prices. They're working for beans, all of them. Hardly anybody in the military makes money. And they're choosing to go there knowing what this is all about. They know in advance. So whenever we are tempted to look at the decisions, the choices, the policies that are put in place at the top of our military, don't be tempted to diminish the service of those red, white, and blue patriots, Americans that have said, I'll go, I'll work, I'll represent and keep America safe. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, we've got all kinds of things that we can gripe about, and it becomes more and more evident every day that there is a concerted effort on the part of the left, and wait a minute, not just the left in the United States of America. We've got some significant news for you that the leftists in the United States are getting some help from overseas. People overseas are doing their best to be able to put themselves and their ideology in the structure, the legal structure of our United States of America. Two years ago, We would have never thought that could happen here. But we are facing that and much, much more today in our country, the United States of America. It's hard to believe, but facts, facts are absolute. We tell you that all the time. We don't know what's coming, but we do know we need to get ready. Your mind. 
coming for you. That's the positive way to look at all of the hurdles that we're forced to jump over and all of the things we've got to deal with in our paths as we just live our lives. Breakthrough's coming. Obviously a gospel song. That's Forever Jones that did that. I was actually the executive producer of that album, nominated for Grammy Awards, several of them. But anyway, I am so glad you chose to join us here today. And yeah, we have a lot of things that we need to touch on. Our poor boy, (laughs) Mike Johnson, the speaker, boy, he's getting lambasted across both political aisles. Those on the left, they don't think he's doing good enough to give away more of our nation to illegals. And I mean, those on the left are toast They're so frantic that he's not going to do both things they think he should. Cut this southern border deal as part of a bill that includes funding for Ukraine and Israel. But this southern border deal, and they're doing what we always see Democrats do. They're throwing a bunch of stuff into a omnibus bill, and they're going to give members of Congress probably no more than 48 hours to read that bill. And you know, as it always happens, it'll be an eight or 900 or even a thousand page bill. And it's impossible to read these bills that they put out like that because there'll be a clause in the bill and it references some other bill. And you have to go pull up, find and pull up that other bill to see what that particular point references. Mike Johnson, by the way, in his struggle, people on the left and people on the right are after him this morning. In fact, you're going to hear from Laura Ingram just a little bit, along with Mike Johnson. She had on her show last night, and she's frustrated with the House Speaker. Close friend of mine out on the West Coast, one of the co-founders of Bowflex, he dropped me a little nugget yesterday And it was kind of a backhanded slap on my friend and my congressman, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House. And he said in this little ding he sent me of Mike, well, it looks like the swamp beast have finally got a hold of Mike Johnson. What's that about? We're going to get into that in just a couple of minutes. First, between now and then, a few things we need to touch on, you know, Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses. Ben Shapiro, who is a very conservative Jewish guy, by the way, he's been around for a long time. He came out basically yesterday, and what he's saying about all of this is Donald Trump has won the GOP nomination. Now, we know that's not final, but he, like probably most of us here on this show, believe that it is a foregone conclusion now Donald Trump will get the nomination nod to represent the Republican Party in the upcoming 2024 election. Get ready for Trump versus Biden 2, electric boogie. The big question, of course, is why? A lot of people are asking this. Why does Trump have such a grip on the Republican imagination? Remember, He lost the 2020 election. There were a lot of Republicans out there that were really shocked that he lost. 70 million Americans voted for Donald Trump. And then Joe Biden got 
more votes than any other candidate in history has ever gotten. Even with even with his speckled pass. So here's a question. Why does Trump retain such a grip on the imagination of the GOP after losing in 2020, contributing heavily to the loss of two Republican Senate states seats in Georgia in the 2021 election and contributing heavily to the loss of the Senate in 2022 with his spate of bizarre primary picks? Why should Trump, who spends much of every day fulminating about his upcoming legal cases, why does he have the upper hand against Republicans without that kind of baggage? Why does Trump, who is certainly no conservative ideologue, he is a conservative, but he's just not a true ideologue, which means cookie cutter right down the line of what people think Republicans are supposed to be. There are a couple of reasons why he's in the lead, according to Shapiro. Primarily, Trump is lucky in his enemies. Now think about that. Trump's lucky in his enemies? What does that mean? Well, to be more precise, Trump's very presence on the political stage and his victory over Hillary in 2016 drove his enemies out of their minds, and they're still out of their minds. Those enemies determined that any and all means that were appropriate for undermining his presidency and his 2020 re-election bid, from Russian collusion nonsense to multiple impeachments, from nodding at historically damaging riots to blaming him for the pandemic, from changing the voting rules to lying about then shutting down the dissemination of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Anything was on the table. So, when Trump claimed in the post-2020 election landscape that he had been robbed, that contention rang true across the nation, even if his contentions about outright voter fraud remained unproven. Not so unproven at this point. Trump has been the title character of Trump the Series, all the way back since 2015. Can you believe that's almost nine years ago? In the end, the chances that Americans would allow a recasting before his re-election effort were always low, but those chances shrank to zero the very moment Trump's enemies weaponized the legal system against him and haven't tried to hide it. The American people are watching it happen, eyes wide open. When Trump's enemies, in the aftermath of Joe Biden's election win, when they continue to come after Trump, they're using the legal system now. Trump argued that he was a stand-in for conservatives everywhere who feel that they're targeted for destruction by America's most powerful institutions. Well, guess what, guys? It's not just something you think. It is factual. It is happening. And it's been happening to us far longer than we thought it was happening to us. That argument had made major purchase. By polling data, Trump's bump to the top of the Republican 2024 heap came not with his re-election announcement, but with the announcement in March last year that he was going to be indicted in Manhattan on specious charges of campaign finance violation. The drumbeat of even more legal charges against him 
dropped everywhere from Florida to Washington, D.C. to Georgia, and that just added fuel to the fire. Perhaps even that legal news could have been turned against Trump in a primary race. But there was one more factor Trump needed. He needed Joe Biden to be so terrible at his job, so outright awful, that Trump would suddenly look good and look to be very competitive. The electability argument, the argument that Trump's losing record since 2016 would continue into 2024, it collapsed for Trump's Republican opponents as Biden's approval rating sank into the 30s. Republicans' hearts were with Trump. Now their heads could be with him too. And so, drumbeat, da-da-da-da-da-da, Trump is the presumptive Republican nominee for the upcoming presidential election. Only question is, only one, is whether he will re-enter the White House in January next year. And that question, ironically, will be answered less by Trump than by Joe Biden. Trump's campaign will be relatively quiet, and we've already seen a bit of that. He's kind of toned it down in these primaries that are now underway. He's going to be relegated to courtrooms, truth social. There will be no debates. That means that 2024 could easily be a referendum on Biden's presidency. And if that happens, get ready. It's going to be a circus, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Trump will have capped the most remarkable political comeback since Richard Nixon won the White House in 1968. It's interesting, isn't it, when we get these perspectives of these so-called experts. But then you come across Ben Shapiro. He's had his nose in the American political process for many, many years. And he's a facts guy. He doesn't look at things and then very subjectively come out and say, he doesn't say, well, they may think that, but my opinion is Ben gets to the facts before he comes out about it. And I think what he had to say on this topic today, it illustrates that. And most Americans, most conservative Americans believe it. And I'm going to shock you and tell you that most Democrats believe that too. And they are horrified. They can't bear to think about having four more years with the Arge man living in the White House. Experts are now coming out. Big time people. I mean, corporate CEOs, people that are very um, down the middle, if not hard left. And they're warning all the Democrats. They're warning everybody. Democrats out in the voting land, Democrats in Congress, you better figure this thing out quickly because it doesn't look like they think, not all of them, but a big share of them now think Joe Biden's unelectable. So what is happening so far in Joe Biden's campaign? Well, right now he's a one-issue re-election campaigner and what is his only issue? Demonizing Donald Trump. And where they're being really stupid about this is they're not only demonizing Donald Trump, they're demonizing 
the people they're calling mega, MAGA, and then you put whatever ugly label after that. But they're demeaning every person that votes, that supports in any way Donald Trump and people that support him. That's going to backfire. You can almost bet it's going to backfire. Jamie Dimon, he's J.P. Morgan Chase's CEO. He believes that. He, in some conversations the last few days, he remarked that could be the proverbial canary in the coal mine that Biden's ideas of equating his 2024 opponent to Adolf Hitler may not be the genius move that Democrats think it is. And Diamond defended the former president and MAGA Republicans in some remarks he made in a CNBC interview. That, that's, that's a financial subsidiary of NBC News. Like many other heavy hitters, Diamond was at the World Economic Forum's big shindig in Davos, Switzerland, and he was interviewed yesterday's edition of Squawk Box. And in that interview, he acknowledged that Trump was right about many major issues, daring to also suggest that Biden's attacks on 70 million-plus loyal Americans is going to come back to bite him. Here's what Diamond said. I don't like how Trump said things, but he wasn't wrong about those critical issues. That's why they're voting for him now. People should be more respectful of our fellow citizens, Diamond said. I think this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt the Biden campaign. I think it already is. He continued. He said, I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA. When people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump. And they think they're voting, basically scapegoating them, that you are automatically like him. Diamond said, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. If you look, just take a step back, be honest, he said. He was kind of right about NATO, kind of right about immigration. He grew the economy quite well. Tax reform worked. He was right about some of China. I don't like how he said things about Mexico, Diamond said, but he wasn't wrong about these critical issues. That's why they, the MAGA Republicans, are voting for him. Diamond continued, I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why question. Not like it's a binary thing. You support Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to hate 75 million of your fellow Americans, he said. The Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really? This is Diamond. Could we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people respectfully and listen to them at least a little bit? I do think the economy will affect. I think this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. So Diamond's comments were cheered 
on ex-users of all places. Those users were heartened over the idea that the grown-ups may finally be coming back to politics. For years, Barack Obama and Jamie Dimon, they were inseparable. The J.P. Morgan chair vocally supported Obama, and Obama frequently heaped praise on Dimon and acted to help J.P. Morgan. That's what makes these comments from Dimon about Trump and Trump supporters all the more remarkable. Diamond's remarks come as another Davos attendee, Biden's buffoonish climate czar, John Kerry, invoked the evil man with the strange mustache to push the battle against the alleged weather apocalypse, painting it as a sweeping effort not unlike World War II. In other words, Kerry went straight to the Adolf Hitler thing. Biden's allies have all gone on in on Trump as Hitler propaganda campaign with the disgraced grifters at the Lincoln Project out with a new ad likening the former and perhaps future president to Fuhrer, Donald Trump. The idea that Trump is the second coming of the murderous Nazi dictator, it's, it's just ridiculous But it's not the discerning and rational voters that the campaign has been crafted to appeal to. And it could be spectacularly backfiring even right now. Jamie Dimon, of all people. I've never met him. We have been in similar circles through the year in a couple of business ventures. But he's a very formidable financial guy. And at that level, the big-time ones... They all seem to be, um, I don't want to call them leftists, but they're very tuned in on some of the moderate, most of the moderate Democrat policies. But you know what they look at, every one of them? Dollars and cents. Their world evolves around economic issues. And when you have people like that at the top, they're typically representing people that have billions of dollars invested with them and what needs to happen economically is going to be a direct reflection of their success holding on to those multi-billion dollar money clients and they've got to do it. So they're not looking at all this stuff as many of us are politically. They're looking at it from the world's perspective and dollars and cents, whether we want to agree with it or not. It's a big piece of our lives, probably a way bigger piece of our lives than we want to admit. And so as we get into the campaign, I mean, really get into it. Now, (laughs) I don't have any idea when that's going to happen with all the litigation still pending out there. It's like every, every day that Donald Trump goes and defends himself in court the next day, He's got to go somewhere and have a political hoo-ha, and he does it. I mean, look at what happened in Iowa. He set a world record in getting support from Iowans in that caucus. He set a record. Nobody's ever come close to winning 50% of the caucus goers' votes in Iowa. The closest ever was 18%. So while this is going on over here, 
And we're in the weeds just now ramping up to a full campaign cycle. And Davos, Switzerland, if you, if you know anything about Switzerland, you don't know anything about Davos. It's just a little hole in the wall, but it's up in the mountains, and it's a very exclusive place to go. And so that's why the World Economic Forum, they always have in January their little get-together with all the heavyweights around the world that think they're the make-all, be-all for all of us. So something strange happened there the last couple of days. In the WEF forum, they set the stage for indigenous voices this year. And then it left a lot of people, when I read the uh, the headlines of what they were going to cover in their various breakout sections and heard that it was heavily concentrating on indigenous voices, I thought, what the heck is that about? That ignited a wave of reactions on social media Listen what happened. A ritualistic display prompted questions and a bunch of people lashing out, crying hypocrites that could not be ignored. So explaining how indigenous leaders are bringing their knowledge to Davos, the WEF stated this, as technological progress and cultural shifts accompany deep and complex transformations in the geopolitical and social fabric of the world, it has never been more important to develop solutions for global challenges that are, here we go, equitable, inclusive, and sustainable. Indigenous voices are thus vital to adding a perspective that prioritizes long-term thinking and human experiences. Now, if we wanted to, I could spend the whole two hours of this show today breaking that apart and blowing it apart. But these are the people over there. They don't care what you and I think. They're so far away from middle-class standards of any country on earth, they don't even consider what you or I give a thought to. So in a video they put out, somebody performing a ritual appeared to be blowing into her hands and then going to each person seated on the platform, touched their heads, and blew on them. That, my friends, is deep, isn't it? (laughs) In a video, a person performing that ritual blew into her hands and went to each person seated on the platform, touched their heads, and blew on them. A few years ago, the elites were telling us to wear masks and stay six feet apart. Now they're bringing in a native woman to cough directly in their faces. That's Matt Walsh writing on X, responding to the video clip from the event that even got the attention of Elon Musk. So at a time when virus paranoid leftists and officials are calling for, yeah, we're going back there. I went into a hospital yesterday for a a visit with a doctor And all through the hospital, people are back in masks, walking around. I actually, when I got out of my car in the parking lot, there was a guy by himself in his car wearing a mask. So this is going to be, at least if the left has their way, part two of COVID insanity. And it'll be epic. They won't just take us back to where they stop before we beat. COVID back, it'll be so 
dressed up, pushed bigger, more important, scarier than we can even imagine today. We've got a few things later in the show today about that. They're doing it, folks. They're doing it. We are going to, at least according to those so-called medical experts, we are going to have an even more deplorable, more dangerous disease sweep the world in the upcoming year than we could even imagine. They're telling us that very quietly. But they're already, I guarantee you, putting it together if they don't already have it together. And it has nothing to do with medicine. It has to do with control. Control. Do you know right now the World Economic Forum is literally making plans for a world police force? Some group of globalists are going to be given, if this comes to pass, they're going to have unilateral authority over every country that's a member of the World Economic Forum. And who are those? Pretty much look at look at uh, the United Nations. Look at the uh, World Health Organization. All those countries. The leaders will have to sign off on this. And if Joe Biden's in office still, you can bet he'll sign off on it. But listen what this police force is going to do and what they're going to have. They're going to have unilateral control of policing climate issues in member states. And when I say policing it, there will be criminal laws that are agreed to and people that break those laws will be thrown in jail in Europe. I'm not joking. They're seriously considering this right now today. And you know the causes that they mentioned they're going to stop farmers whose work is doing evil things to our environment. Livestock. They're going to actually, they tell us, they'll take action regarding the extermination of some wildlife animals because they're destroying our environment. That's going on right now. How can they justify? Oh, I can tell you how. They don't, they don't live in that world. They don't have to. They're filthy rich. They get blasted every year at the World Economic Forum because everybody that goes has got to go with their private jet. Now, I don't know if you know it or realize it, but flying from anywhere on earth to Davos is really expensive. And let me tell you how they fight about going over. It's a large area of the Swiss Alps. And there's, a, as you can imagine, a, a nice airport there. But there are so many jets. These sycophants fly their corporate jets in there. They have to plan and even are bribing officials in Davos to get a parking place for their corporate jets close to the terminal. That's how ridiculous what happens over there is. And every year, especially when there are Democrats in control here in the United States, every year we get closer and closer 
to being involved in the nuts and bolts of that crazy stuff they're talking about. God help us. I don't, I don't think, honestly, I would be able to weather that storm. I would get thrown in jail just because of my mouth. Now, we're going to take a break here, but on the other side of this break, let me tell you what's coming up. This will haunt you. Right now in the United States, it has leaked out of corporate Michigan that General Motors and Ford are contemplating right now stopping business, terminating parts of their corporate products and services that they sell. In fact, General Motors is even talking about going out of business. I'm not joking. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. Oh, yes, That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra. What is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many did he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here to smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him $5, and he said I only gave him $1. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. You know, when you do a show like this, or if you are listening to radio typically in your rearview mirror. Anytime you picked up the phone to call that uh, that show, you're maybe going to comment about something going on in the show or maybe even requesting a song if it's a radio station. That ad.
ad you just heard is probably without exception the most contributor to any phone calls or any people calling in to get information or texting us about something. I send that that Amazon Echo commercial, I send it to people all the time. They say, hey, where can we hear that Amazon Echo commercial? It's really funny. you got to agree to that. So what about, what about GM and Ford? What's that all about? Before I get to it, I want to tell you something that kind of plays in towards that. Interest rate hikes that were put in place over the last year, year and a half, two years, to combat our sky-high inflation by Joe Biden have led the Federal Reserve to run over a $100 billion deficit. Now, this is not the bank. This is the Federal Reserve. This is not a corporation. They're $100 billion upside down. And that adds to the national debt. In past years, the Federal Reserve has operated the net surplus, and they give the money, their earnings, to the U.S. Treasury to pay down our national debt. In 2023, following an inflation-driven increase to the Fed funds rate, the interest rate that the central bank has to pay to commercial banks that are holding excess cash overnight, the Fed began losing money, which the Treasury had to issue debt to pay. The Fed's losses do contribute to the deficit. That's George Selgan, Director Emeritus of the Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives at the Cato Institute. Normally, the Fed saves the government money by sending most of the interest it earns on its securities back to the Treasury. But because the Fed now pays interest on banks' reserves when the rate it pays goes up, its remittances to the Treasury got to go down. And lately, the rate it pays has risen so much that this past year alone, it owed banks more than $100 billion, billion with a B, more than it earned. Until it makes up for this loss, and also for losses from the previous few years, which could take a long time, it won't be sending anything to the Treasury. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Fed was able to remit about $80 billion to the Treasury in 2022 before having to take out $16 billion in debt by the end of the year as rising interest rates took hold, later losing $114 billion last year. The Treasury got $109 billion, $86 billion, $54 billion, and $62 billion from the Fed in 21, 20, 19, and 2018, respectively. The rates that the Federal Reserve pays on the overnight reserve balances held by commercial banks, those rates have risen in accordance with hikes in the Fed funds rate, which the Fed has put in a range of five and a quarter and five and a half percent, the highest rate in 22 years. And that's in response to high inflation that peaked at 9.1% in June of 2022 under Biden. Since then, Inflation has moderated a bit to 3.4% as of December. That's still not at the Fed's 2% target, but enough to prompt the median of federal governors to predict three rate cuts before the end of this year. 
Now, these Fed's rate hikes, what they're supposed to do is counter inflation by raising the cost of borrowing. In other words, stopping people from borrowing stupid money and doing stupid things with it. Now, keep that, what I just gave to you, keep that in your head when you hear this blockbuster revelation about Ford and General Motors. And yes, the financial big, big, big problems for those two monster automakers, what do you think they're caused by? They can't sell EVs. GM and Ford can't sell EVs. They're shutting down production, firing thousands of workers, and could even close their doors forever. Yes, you heard me right. More than $5 billion in losses, firing more than 1,000 workers in a single week. We could be looking at the biggest automotive car crash of the century. But why are Ford and GM not able to sell EVs? Are those EVs a scam? In this video, I'm going to tell you about the crisis happening at Ford and GM and why buying an EV might be a big mistake right now. General Motors is about to close its doors and you might be shocked to know that their own CEO is killing the company. But before I tell you about that controversy, let's see how the number one American brand, Ford, is handling the EV race. Here's something I never thought I'd say. Ford is losing $36,000 on every EV they sell right now. Imagine selling something and losing more than the price of a brand new car on each sale. That's pretty crazy, right? The situation got so bad that Ford's electric vehicle division reported an operating loss of $1.3 billion in just one quarter. That's even worse than the previous quarter where they lost $1.1 billion. And compared to last year, it's more than double the loss. You can practically hear the alarms going off in Ford's headquarters. But why is this happening? Well, Ford says it's because of their continuous investment in EVs and some tough market dynamics. What they mean is that they're pouring money into developing these fancy electric cars, but the sales just aren't catching up. Plus, there's a twist. A lot of customers in North America are simply not willing to pay premium prices for these luxury EVs over gas or hybrid vehicles. And if I told you why they're doing this, you might never want to buy an EV. But more on this in a minute. And Ford's troubles don't stop there. Their beloved F-150 Lightning, the electric truck that was supposed to be a game changer, is now dead on arrival. They've stopped production and Jim Farley is now asking everyone to see Ford as a startup and ignore the losses they're making. Moving on to General Motors, here the situation is even worse. More than 1,000 workers fired in just one week, people getting killed due to their cars and EV losses left and right. Here's what exactly happened. First off, GM's CEO Mary Barra is in the hot seat. She's making decision after decision and honestly, they're not all looking too great. The company's facing a bunch of problems, from EV sales going down the drain to issues with their self-driving car unit, Cruise. And what does Mary Barra do in the middle of all this? She's gone on record saying GM will not be lowering the prices and cheaper EVs under $30,000 are not going to be profitable, so she'll only focus on luxury EVs, completely ignoring the common man. And get this, GM had this grand plan to build 400,000 EVs by mid-2024, but guess what? They're bailing on that big time. Why? Because the demand for their EVs is just not there. It's like throwing a huge party and no one shows up. Aww. 
In the third quarter of 2023, they made about 32,000 EVs, which is up 40% from the second quarter, but their sales only grew by 28%. The math just doesn't add up. They've even pushed back the production of their electric trucks, including the Chevy Silverado EV and the GMC Sierra EV, from 2024 to late 2025. It's a big red flag waving right in our face. But it's not just about slowing down. GM's making some tough calls. They're talking about cutting expenses, delaying factories, and even doing stock buybacks to make shareholders happy. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room, Cruise. This robo-taxi unit was supposed to be a big win for GM, but it's turned into a nightmare. After a serious incident where a driverless vehicle killed a pedestrian, they've paused all operations. Top execs at Cruise have resigned, and there are layoffs coming. GM's financial situation is also taking a hit. The United Auto Workers strike cost them $800 million since it started. Wait till I tell you about how Ford is forcing dealers to spend thousands and millions of dollars just to be able to sell their EVs. Let's not forget the workers that are caught up in all this. GM's making some deep cuts. They're laying off about 1,300 workers as they wind down production of the Chevy Bolt and Camaro. The Orion assembly plant, where these layoffs are happening, is getting retooled for electric trucks, but that won't be up and running until 2028. Imagine being one of those workers, showing up every day, giving it your all, and then suddenly you're told you don't have a job anymore. Coming back to Ford CEO Jim Farley, here's something that'll make you raise an eyebrow. Nearly 50% of EV buyers are now trading in their EVs for hybrids. That's right, people are actually going back to gas and hybrid cars. It's like when everyone has tried that new trendy diet and then decided that it was burgers and fries that they wanted after all. In 2023, hybrids like the Toyota Prius were the stars of the show, making up 8.3% of car sales in the U.S., outshining the 6.9% for EVs. And the reason? Hybrids are more affordable and don't come with the extra baggage of charging woes. The average hybrid was priced at about $42,381, way lower than the $59,400 you'd have to cough up for an EV. In the second quarter of 2022, Ford dealers were selling 86.4% of their Mach-E inventory within 30 days. Fast forward to 2023 and that number plummets to just 27.7% despite having over twice as much inventory. Now the sales figures for the Mach-E fell by 90% from year over year, dropping from 10,941 vehicles to just 633. Ford's head of U.S. sales analysis, Eric Merkel, is trying to put a brave face on it, saying EV sales are up overall. But he also admits that a bunch of these unsold Mach-E's are stuck in dealer lots, not exactly flying off the shelves. The F-150 Lightning isn't faring much better. Last year, Ford was selling 70% of its Lightning inventory within 30 days. This year, only 35%. It's like everyone was excited about this electric truck, but now they're just giving it the cold shoulder. Just what is Ford's ambitious target here? To produce 600,000 EVs this year. But the kicker is they're expecting to lose at least $3 billion in the process. But wait, it gets crazier. Ford's asking their dealers to spend a million dollars just to become EV certified to sell these high-tech yet seemingly unprofitable vehicles. Imagine being a dealer shelling out all that cash and then watching these EVs gather dust in your showroom. Now, here's where it gets really messy. Some Ford dealers, especially on the East Coast, are saying that Ford's production is way off from what customers actually want. People want a cheap EV with a range of more than 300 miles without useless technological gimmicks. 
but brands continue to ignore this. Ford and GM dealers are sitting on stockpiles of Lightnings and Mach-E's that they just can't sell. These dealers are so overwhelmed with EVs that they're actually turning down allocations from Ford. It's absolutely unheard of, like a kid saying no to candy. Ford's problem isn't just a blip, it's a sign of a bigger issue in the EV market. Even Tesla, the king of electric cars, is facing the same problem, having to cut prices and offer deals just to move their inventory. The real shocker is that the states with the biggest EV sales are now seeing the slowest growth. But wait, there's more. Remember those 200,000 Lightning reservations Ford bragged about? Well, turns out, 70% of those orders are just sitting there unfulfilled. By the time these Lightnings finally roll onto the lots, who knows if the customers will still be there? Ford's November sales tell a grim tale, too. Overall, their sales are down by 0.5% compared to last year. Sure, EV sales hit a record high, but it's a drop in the ocean compared to the sales of their gas-powered vehicles. Their pickup trucks and SUVs, usually their strong suit, are also taking hits. The situation is so dire that Ford is cutting back on their EV investments. They've slashed $12 billion in planned expenditures, including scaling down their battery plant in Michigan and delaying production of another plant in Kentucky. The irony is that while Ford's EVs are struggling, their internal combustion engine vehicles are still their bread and butter. It's like everyone's excited about the future, but they're still clinging to the past. And then there's the human cost. The UAW strike at Ford's plants didn't just interrupt production, it led to temporary layoffs and a lot of uncertainty for workers. Even after the strike ended, it left a $1.7 billion dent in Ford's earnings, similar to GM. The new labor agreement, while beneficial for workers, is adding around $900 in cost per vehicle. It's a tough pill to swallow for a company already in a financial crunch. So what's the bottom line here? Ford and GM, like many other automakers, are learning the hard way that transitioning to EVs is not a cakewalk. The Biden administration is like a coach pushing for a new game plan with those strict emissions rules. They're basically saying, look, by 2032, we want 67% of all new cars to be electric. Think about that. Think about the information you just heard. How are these big corporations now finding themselves self-inflicted wounds? Why are these smart, smart, very intellectual, educated people waking up and realizing, oh my gosh, we're in trouble when you have... General Motors and Ford very credibly speaking about their need to shutter their companies, if not the entire company's vast production lines. And of course, most of those are electric vehicles. Here's what's happened. And nobody can credibly say this is not factually going on. Everybody Everybody from top to bottom were told, we all were, when Tesla came out, this is the future. We can get away from fossil fuel altogether by just going electric. But what we see those on the left that aren't in business, they're in politics. It was a great talking point to use. We are going to We're going to save the American people billions of dollars by getting away from the huge prices, the up and down swing and costs for gasoline and diesel. And we're going to go to all electric vehicles. This will save our environment. It will put 
more money in the pockets of American people. Yeah, EVs right now cost a little more than those evil fossil fuel burning cars and trucks. But eventually, it'll come down to where Americans have it better than any other country on the planet. And so what happens? Government gets involved. Now remember this. Elon Musk is one of the, if not the smartest persons on the planet. And that means he doesn't think up all these ideas and just go out and make a car loan and come up with these industries that he's created. He spends a ton of his own money, no doubt about it. But do you know that every Tesla that has ever been sold, there is a huge subsidy on top of the cost of that that is being paid by the American taxpayers. Nobody wants to talk about that. When Joe Biden and Barack Obama were running the government, let me just read for you say it. When Barack Obama and his heavy-handed money people were running the government, this was a perfect opportunity for them to take off on a tangent and claim victory about this great financial environmental boondoggle that they came up with. Look, we're the ones that seeded the money for Tesla. But you know what? You look now. Here we are a decade later. We're having horrible problems. Tesla is. Problems with those cars. Problems with the technology. And then the things that they said they were going to do away with. Those evil fossil fuel emissions. Have you ever seen what a strip mine looks like? A strip mine that is necessary to go get the elements to build those batteries. And compare what that strip a strip mine with several hundred acres at least that are an environmental scourge. They destroy those particular areas, and you can imagine what the downhill EPA effects are in doing what they're doing there. I saw one picture, I guess five or six years ago, and it was a picture of a piece of property where there was a very successful um Fossil fuel, yes, but a natural gas well that is churning out the money. And the only site on this massive piece of property of that deep, deep well, 15,000 feet, is a little pipe sticking up out of the ground, grass green all around it, no pollution. And then you look at a strip mine right next to it that is just abysmal. What they've done, and James Posey just dropped me a text and said, plus, they're using child labor to manufacture all that stuff. Even here in the United States now, did you know that? We have tens of thousands of illegal immigrants that are under the age of 12 or 13, and they're ending up in these sweatshops, places that take parts that are manufactured and put them together for things like these EVs. It's happening. This is not this is not a speculation. It's happening. Nobody wants to talk about it. There are so many bad pieces of truth that go along with this rush by these globalists 
to come in here and claim all kinds of things. If you'll approve legislation to do this, here's what we're going to do, and the results will be this. That story has been being told for decades about a bunch of different areas and sectors of our lives. Very seldom does it take root and grow to be exactly what they tell us it's going to be. It's bright and shiny. It sounds good. I mean, every day now, especially when the weather's cold, every day now we're hearing horror stories of people that swallowed the pill of the electric vehicles. They buy them. They're told all kinds of great things are going to be experienced. All you got to do is let us put in a charging station at your home, and when you get on the road, there are going to be places to stop to get charged. Joe Biden's infrastructure bill promised 600,000 of those charging stations, and it funded it in the bill. Now, this is a year and a half ago, two years ago. As of this morning, not one, not one of the 600,000 charging stations is up and operating. And that's why we hear stories, especially with the weather, the last week and a half, two weeks, electric vehicles out on the road making trips, they can't even get fueled up. There are very, very limited charging stations, and because of the cold weather, it takes two, three, four times longer for those vehicles to charge up. Nobody talked about that before we invested the trillions of dollars to go down the EV route. A month ago, we published a story at truthnewsnet.org that had pictures from China. Now, remember, China is the big, big source for all of the creation and the building of the parts of those electric vehicles. They went around the world and they bought mines that exclusively make those, mine those materials that are used for the various parts, especially of the batteries. And so China's been trumpeting for several years now. We're going to innovate the world, car transportation, with electric vehicles. And there are pictures that we published on our website, truthnewsnet.org, that show you look and there's just a massive 10, 12, 20 acres of open ground that is flooded side by side, bumper to bumper of white electric cars, not different models, not different colors. They put them out on these lots. They're hiding them from the world because China's trying to sell to everybody around the world. Electric vehicles are the answer. Sounds kind of like John Kerry. And Joe Biden (laughs) trying to sell EVs to us. It's not working. And what is happening with these billions of dollars being spent to upgrade and improve and find new innovations in electric vehicles, while that's going on, we're losing our butts. We're about to reach a financial crisis never before seen in the United States. And the experts, not the Dr. Fauci kind of experts, but the experts in economies are telling us we are approaching quickly a precipice in our economy that the United States has ever seen. It will dwarf the Great Depression. 
And it's all because they came up with this grandiose idea decades ago, maybe a hundred years ago, that fossil fuel is destroying our environment. When in actuality, natural gas is the cleanest, most economic fuel in the world. And the ability to even clean it up more, clean it up more, make a few changes, not big, big changes, but just smoothing down processes, it becomes more and more environmentally perfect if we can ever get there than anything out there. Oh, by the way, including if you throw everything in that goes into building electric cars, far more environmentally friendly than our electric cars. But you can't talk about that. That's not politically correct. The globalists, the ones that know everything about everything and you don't know anything, they're sold out. And they're not worried about it. If it fails, they'll just say, oh, well, and dust off their hands and move on to another thing to try to sell us. You know why they are going to do that? They always do because they talk, you and I, well, they don't talk us into it. We don't get a vote other than to cast a vote for somebody to serve us in the Congress. That's the only thing we can do. But, but they go out and through our government, they get the money from us. And in the long run, when they fail, they just say, oh, well, and turn around and walk away. And meanwhile, you and I are paying the bill. That's happening, and it's happening in more and more sectors of our lives almost daily. It's crazy, but we got to deal with it. We're going to take a break. Man, we're getting long-winded here. We're already an hour plus into the show. We've had much more to talk to you about and to let you hear. Mike Johnson sitting on top of, uh, I hope it's not, but it looks like he's sitting on top of an atomic bomb called getting our government to stay open and funding the government without giving away the farm regarding illegal immigration and more money, money, money for Ukraine. Laura Ingram, she'll come back right after this. And she has Mike Johnson on her show from last night. And they get into it. You don't want to miss it. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals... 
better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey, Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, Jesus. Supermodels. What are you, model gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. Oh, I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. back and think how many times have you tuned in when we had congressman mike johnson on this show probably through the last four years i'm gonna guess but i'm gonna probably say in the order of 45 or 50 different times he's our congressman fourth congressional district in northwest louisiana and um he's been until two months ago he's been little more than one of 435 members of the House of Representatives. And all of a sudden he wakes up and he's the boss. He's the Speaker of the House. He's the, right now, Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives. And so he started, as you know for a fact, he started in a really, really bad place. I mean, you look at the important things in Americans' lives, top to bottom, let's say the top 50 And every one of those top 50, maybe top 40, maybe 10 of those is doing okay, but at least 40 of them, they're all screwed up. I mean, beyond comprehension. And every American around the nation, they want him to fix everything today. The big bananas that are on everybody's vision right now is... Our economy, our economy's in horrible shape, and almost at the same level is illegal immigration. And Republicans have made it very clear. The rank-and-file Republicans have very clear. We want our government to stop spending and to not give Congress any more money to spend 
unless and until we get those two things straightened out, at least get on the path to be straightened out, our economy and the debacle, I mean, invasion, you can call it, at our southern border. One thing that Mike Johnson has been adamant about, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find one of those interviews that he did here when we talked about what changes needed to happen in the House of Representatives. You remember him talking to us about regular order? What that is, is there is a congressional order on the way they handle pending um, bills, the whole process. It's the Speaker of the House in the House of Representatives and the Majority Leader in the Senate that determine when there is a bill that one of the members in each of those houses wants to present to be considered to maybe be become a law, it has to start with the House Speaker or the Majority Leader. And then those two, they consider all of the bills that have been presented to be considered And they have the sole authority to determine which of those bills will be taken up and which won't. Now, taken up is the term because what they then do is they spread out that bill to the various committees and subcommittees in the House of Representatives and the Senate that are put together permanently to handle specific parts of our government. And they'll send that bill to the chairman of that particular committee. When it goes there, they then break it down. They debate it. They bring in witnesses in the hearings. And sometimes when it gets close to the end or the finish, somebody, they'll have a a kind of a basic structure already agreed to. They'll start coming up with amendments. And they'll do just like you would think they would do. They'll consider an amendment. They'll talk about it, debate it, and then they vote on it. When they get to the end of it where that bill is pared down to whatever they got consensus approval for, it goes back to the House Speaker or the Majority Leader in the Senate. Then that process starts all over again. If they get it uh, agreed to on both sides, there are going to be differences on the final product that comes out of the House than it comes out of the Senate. Then they have a committee that they build and is put together to consider there are members of the House, members of the Senate, and they find consensus. That's an arduous, long process that must be made. But it's the right way because it's done where Americans can watch it and see it and know what's going on as it's happening. That's regular order. Mike Johnson committed that if he ever got in that particular position of leadership in the House, he would make sure we go back to regular order again. So what do we have now? All the Democrats want to do is wait, 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 wait. Got all these bills out there that need to be acted on. They don't take them up. Now, since Mike Johnson's been there for several months, he's done or started doing, again, the regular order stuff on a couple of bills, but It was so far gone for doing the budget for this upcoming year, and that budget every year constitutionally has to be put in place, and all of the spending measures for the upcoming year have to be included in it. 
So he came aboard in the middle of that process. Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker, he had not been an adherent to regular order. So the whole process was just sitting there dormant. And Johnson just started working. Now remember this, he's new. They all know him. Both sides of Congress know him and know him well. He's been there. He's well-liked. He's been in leadership in the uh, Republican Party, but he's the newcomer. And so the conservative parts of the House members, they want measures, and they want measures that will shut down all this crazy, wasteful spending in a new budget. And then the Democrats, of course, are on the other side of the street. Same thing over in the Senate. And so, Mike, you have to create and come up with a budget before the end of the uh, fiscal years. That passed last September. So they had to do what's called a continuing resolution, which is a temporary stopgap so the government can continue to run, and they're supposedly continuing to work on that budget. They did that. And they got close. They got several parts of the budget passed, but then all of a sudden, bam, here we are, and it's time to put all of this together. Now, remember, Democrats hadn't done anything. Republicans presented a budget proposal last year, and it just sat there. The Senate wouldn't even take it up. The Republicans and the other members of the House passed it. But it's just been sitting there. And so what they hope to do, they being Democrats, is create an omnibus bill. And we've seen them. We've heard of them. Many of you may not know what it means. But they wait till the last minute, and then they put together a massive bill, a single bill. It's called an omnibus. And it includes hundreds of pages of little parts and little wants and desires from all kind of people. Republicans aren't exempt from that. And then they throw it out there. This will come from the Senate. They'll throw it out there, and the leaders will give their members only two or three days to look at it. It's impossible to digest all of the all of the contents of this omnibus bill every time one comes out, and they want it that way. And then even if you get it and you can have your hands to look at it and read it, there is so much ambiguity in the the, the written part and the pages. An example is they'll start with this paragraph about this item, and then they, they will say, according to, and they'll do an reference to another bill, part of another omnibus or part of another piece of legislation, according to that, we agree to this. And there are thousands of those that are purposely put into these omnibus bills. And so you get down to the final hours and you got to vote. And if you don't want to vote for it because it's you haven't had time, they don't care anymore. If you don't vote for it, they'll go out and campaign against you and say you weren't for. You wanted to shut the government down. That's their number one thing. I gave you that example because what I want you to hear now, we are at that point, tipping point, where we've got to get a budget done. And so House Speaker Mike Johnson 
has been yesterday and the day before in meetings at the White House with President Biden, with the minority leader in the House and the majority leader in the Senate. And there are two really big sticking points. It's getting a hold on our spending. And secondly, our southern border. Laura Ingram had Mike Johnson on last night. And again, remember this omnibus bill, nobody's seen it yet. He hadn't seen it. Nobody in the House has seen it. Nobody in the Senate has seen it. There are workers that work for the members of Congress, and they bring in outside, often they bring in lobbyists that want to put their two cents in, these spending bills, but they do it in the dark of the night, not in the public, and they come out and say, we've got a bill put together. But then it takes weeks before we even know what's in them. We do not know today what the Democrats' version of a new budget coming out of the Senate. We don't have any idea what it includes. But the conservatives in the House, I think every Republican, as a matter of fact, or close to every one of them, the number one thing they want to do is to hold up funding the government unless this new bill contains processes to close our southern border and stop this massive flow. We do know that the Senate Democrat version of that demands more illegal immigrants being allowed to come into the United States every day. So in that scenario... Here's Mike Johnson, House Speaker, and Laura Ingram last night on the Ingram Angle. We must insist that the border be the top priority. I I think we have some consensus around that table. Everyone understands the urgency of that, and we're going to continue to press for it. Well, that's what uh, Speaker Mike Johnson took away from his meeting with Joe Biden and other top congressional leaders about the so-called border negotiations and the Ukraine aid deal. Now, many congressional Republicans have been trying to tie money for Ukraine for some faux border deal, which would be, of course, a political win for the Democrats. But I think Senate Democrats, look, they have a different idea. There's a large amount of agreement around the table that we must do Ukraine and we must do border. There was tremendous focus on Ukraine and an understanding that if we don't come to Ukraine's aid, that the consequences for America around the globe would be nothing short of devastating. Joining me now for his first interview on The Angle since becoming Speaker and since coming out of that meeting is Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. Mr. Speaker, thank you so much for joining us. Um, the, the president actually uh, just got off the phone with me right before the show, and he said he has spoken to you about this deal and that he is against it, and he urged you to be against this deal. He was extremely, President Trump was extremely adamant about that. Um, your reaction to that, given the fact that, look, he already, he knows how to do this enforcement stuff. You don't need some new bill coming out of the, uh, the Senate to get the border enforced. Yeah, President Trump is not wrong. He and I have been talking about this um, 
uh, pretty frequently. I talked to him the uh, night before last about the same subject. We don't have the text of whatever the Senate has cooked up yet. And, and so we have to reserve judgment, I think, to see what comes out of it. It doesn't sound good uh, at the outset. But what I told the, the President Biden at the White House today is the same thing that I've been saying to him since I was handed the gavel to become Speaker, and that is our border, our national border, is national security. And we have to talk about the safety and the, the, the security and the sovereignty of America before we talk about anything else. That has to be top of mind. That's what the American people demand. That's what they deserve. And that's what the House Republicans are united around. So well, that is the battle. And we got to get yeah. it done. The, the Republican grassroots, I think, by the reaction on social media, were really encouraged by your tweets that the Langford bill is a no-go. And, and the text of that bill, I think, is already written. It has been written for some time and it included 5,000 minimum uh, migrants to be waved into the country um, every day, which is 1.825 million a year. And now um, you said it's not the time for comprehensive immigration reform, which is really amnesty. So that was really encouraging. But then at 6.03 p.m. Eastern time today, Mr. Speaker, The Hill posted a story with this title. Johnson gets squeezed by Biden's Senate GOP on Ukraine and the border. Your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I don't know what, what they're talking about, Laura. We haven't seen that text yet. The senators, the Republicans who are engaged in the negotiation on the other side, say that some of those claims aren't true. We, again, we have to reserve judgment because that text has not been posted yet, and we've not seen it. I mean, I'm hopeful that they'll come up with something meaningful, but what I have said from the very beginning is that we have to have H.R. 2 or the functional equivalent thereof. Why? Because it has very important provisions. We reform asylum and the broken parole process. We restore the Trump era remain in Mexico policy, which is essential, and you end catch and release. We need to rebuild the wall. There are other elements as well, but some of those are essential to stop the flow. But Mr. Speaker, yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Speaker, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I've, I've been doing this immigration thing for like 30 years Not here, that. long before right. you came here, but they could do that tonight. Exactly. They don't need the Lankford bill to do remain in Mexico or to enforce our border. They do not have good faith on this issue. They do not want the border to be secure because if they did, they would have secured it over the last three years. So then you show up at the White House and are like trying to strong arm you to agree to something that has been written by Schumer's staff for months. Yeah, Laura, no one is strong-arming me. I told the president, I looked right across the table from him in the cabinet uh, official's room, and I said, Mr. President, you have the authority right now to end this catastrophe. It's your actions that created it. In fact, Mr. President, I told him in the meeting today, we've documented 64 instances of you taking executive actions in your agencies that created this catastrophe. Mr. President, it's on you to unwind it. We don't need new laws. You could do it right now. I've cited him, read him the legal authority on the phone on Thursday of last week that he could take. And you know what he said? In the meeting, Laura, he said, we're ready to do big things on the border. Well, hallelujah, Mr. President. President Biden, do your job. Fix the catastrophe that you've created. It's an unspeakable humanitarian catastrophe, a national security catastrophe. 302,000 people came over the border in but December alone. They know alone. this, they right, but they know, know this, Mr. They... Speaker. So you yes. going over to the White House today, I mean, I understand you want to show comedy with the, the Democrats, and, and, and you're, you're, you have a reputation of wanting to work with them, and that's, that's great. If you're working with people who actually have the same goals as you have, right. and I think right. your goals well, here, right. by, by all indication, your goals are the goals of the grassroots of the Republican Party and most, most Americans, by the way. But that is not their goal. If it were their goal, they would have enforced the border. So you're in negotiations with people who don't have your 
your same uh, goals in mind. So you're just giving them the fig leaf of bipartisanship here, or they're going to blame you if this goes south. Laura, we have to do everything we can do, drag them kicking and screaming over the line, but that's our job, is to forge that consensus to make it happen. I, I'm only, I only have the control of one chamber, one, one House of Congress, and we have the smallest majority in U.S. history, uh, quite literally, this week with yeah. people out sick. So True. we're doing everything we can. We have to use every ounce of leverage and make them do the right thing. That's what we're trying to force. No one is twisting my arm. It's quite the opposite. I'm there at the White House demanding action on behalf of the American people, and the House Republicans are going to stand on that ground. We have been consistently and will continue to do so. If Ukraine is really the positively, absolutely has to be a priority, which I'm certainly not for, but if, if, if they're desperate to get money to Ukraine, again, the American people aren't for that. I think it's only 41% in our Fox voter analysis poll in, U, in, in Iowa say they want to give more money to, to Ukraine. But if you guys all want to do that, do a Ukraine bill standalone. Why tie that to our border? Well, Ukraine is leveraged to get border, but to your point, they may indeed be broken up. We'll see how it all develops. Again, the devil's going to be in the details on all these, these uh, proposals. But what's happening in Ukraine is, is not acceptable. The status quo is not acceptable. We've sent billions of dollars over there without any clear articulation of the strategy. And I've been telling the White House this as well. What is the strategy? What's the end game? How do we have accountability but why for the we precious them any more dollars money, of taxpayers? Yeah, That's why the give them more question. money? They've fail Talk about failing. That's not failing upward. They're just failing. Yeah, we've been pressing the White House every day for answers to critical questions the American people are owed, and we have to know that. We have to know strategy, end game. How do we get? How does Ukraine get out of that conflict? Why aren't the critical weapons systems that have been requested and necessary to push Russia back been supplied by the White House? I mean, I met with President Zelensky when he was in town last before Christmas, and he said they haven't gotten the weapon system they asked for. So, in other words, the White House is not even providing the assistance that has been needed, and and yet they're asking for more billions. There's a lot of work yet here to be done. And I understand the frustration of the American people. We share it as well. That's the problem. And Mr. And Mr. Speaker, one final question. Given the fact that many in the House of Representatives believe Alejandro Mayorkas should be impeached for failing to do his job, do you believe whatever is agreed to in this so-called border uh, deal would in any way be implemented on the enforcement side by a man who's allowed our border to be open on the direction of the Biden team? Absolutely not. Laura, Mayorkas is responsible for this. He engineered the open border. He, he is the one that's done that. So to your point, it doesn't matter what laws we pass. If the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security is unable or unwilling to enforce them, I think he's unwilling in this case, then it, it makes no, no difference. And, and that's the point. I, I think the White House and the president himself has to take executive action. He has to do what he has, the authority under existing law, to solve this mess, to end the catastrophe that he and his agencies, including Mayorkas, have created. We're going to insist upon that. We have been every single day. We'll continue to because we owe that to the American people. Does the fact that President Trump, uh, that he stands so strongly against this deal, is that important to you? Well, I mean, again, President Trump and I have talked about this. We don't know what the deal is. We haven't seen it yet. Oh, right? we know what it We're, is. I mean, well, it's a fig we, leaf see, of we, a, it's a promise of enforcement with with millions of people in the next decade coming into the country across the border. That's the that's the deal. 
That's a nutshell. Well, I can tell That's you, the deal. Two lines. I just, told, I just told everybody at the White House, everybody sitting around that room, that we need the elements of HR2, the functional equivalent thereof. I don't care what they call it, but you have to make these changes to solve the problem. The Deputy Secretary of, of uh, the Border Patrol, U.S. Border Patrol, a 33-year veteran of the agency, told us at Eagle Pass two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, I brought 64 House Republicans down there. He said, it's as if I'm administering an open fire hydrant. I don't need more buckets. I need to turn down the flow. That's what we have to do to save the country, to help save the country, is turn down the flow need a, and get all these yeah. illegals down. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, we really appreciate, appreciate your joining us. What you heard there was pure frustration. Frustration on the part of the House Speaker, Mike Johnson. But Laura Ingram, and, and I've got to be honest with you, uh, Mike Johnson's a friend of mine. Nevertheless, it wouldn't matter if it was still Kevin McCarthy. In that conversation, he was basically attacked by Laura Ingram, and I'm sure Laura would have done the same thing if it was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. But here's where the frustration is for almost all Americans, me for sure, most of you, if not all of you listening for sure, and of course, Laura Ingram and Mike Johnson. We're frustrated. The frustration comes from the fact that the president and his party, they know they have the ability to stop everything regarding any piece of legislation that they don't like, and they will not agree to sit down and honestly negotiate to find consensus. Now, we know we have a majority in the House of Representatives, and that's the House where constitutionally all the spending bills have got to go through. But as Mike Johnson just said, in a perfect world right now, They only have a two-vote majority. And don't you think that Democrats understand that? On the other side of the Capitol, the Democrats have control of the Senate. And so the reason the left love to drag things out so long is when they get to the end of it, they have one thing that they will say if any new budget spending bill is not executed in the next few weeks, you know what that'll be? Republicans want to shut down the government. And they'll float that out and soak the nation with it. Americans don't know what that means. They think that what it means is at midnight tomorrow morning, Every branch of government is just going to turn the lights out and go home and our government won't be working at all. That means tens of millions of people won't be working. That means to the American people that don't understand the political process like you do now after listening to me and listening to Laura Ingram and Mike Johnson, they're going to be horrified and petrified. People that work for the government. How are they going to make it? I will tell you this. When this comes out, and it will come out probably by midweek next week, the details that Mike Johnson was just saying, we don't have, we don't know. We can't deal with hypotheticals because we don't know what things are there. We have a pretty good idea of most of them, and we've discussed those amongst ourselves, but we're going to have to jump on the wagon Something Mike Johnson said, he made very clear. 
He won't come out and say it. We're going to close the government if they don't do what we want them to do. But he made sure everybody understands every tool is on the table. Most Americans, I bet you every one of our listeners, maybe save a few. I'd say 90% of the people that listen to this show and consider yourselves to be part of Truth News Network, you'll say, like me, shut it down. Come up with a plan that will fund our military and keep our law enforcement entities up and operating. I'm, when I say law enforcement, I'm not talking about the faux law enforcement agencies in this government, like the FBI, the CIA. None of those people are working on making us safe and keeping us safe. But the parts of the government that are mandatory, we don't need to worry about our military people. We don't need to worry about their families. And there are other sectors, and I can't name them all. You can't either, but you can book it. The people that pull the trigger, they know what's out there and what we can deal with having less of or not having any of it at all for a short period of time. They need to shut it down. They need to pull funding and say, you're going to close the southern border. You're going to stop this, as you heard Mike Johnson say. He told Joe Biden. Joe Biden has the power, executive action, to shut it down. He does. It happened that way previously under Donald Trump. And the irony of this whole conversation is this. Joe Biden's actions are those that made this horror show playing out at our southern border. He didn't get Congress to pass anything that said, let 200,000 in a month. He didn't do that. He decided on his own, along with Alejandro Mayorkas, and they just basically thumbed their noses at immigration laws. They continue to do so. How this could be tolerated is beyond me. But it boils down to this. These are facts. These are the things that are happening right now and the things that must happen for us to move forward in a smooth manner and do the things that we need to do. Do they give a rip about it? I don't think they do. I think that Republicans are hogtied by Democrats that have no inclination whatsoever to do anything to fix any of this. Their lifelong demand, when it all comes down to it, when these kind of back and forth happen in legislation, their mantra is simple. It's our way or the highway. You go ahead and shut it down, but we're going to make darn sure every American out there knows who shut it down. And they're telling Republicans, we're not going to be blamed for it. You are. Now, let me summarize this whole thing up this segment. Here's where I am. I believe we need to do the right thing in every area of life, including governing the American people especially by those who are in authority positions that make these decisions. And number two is we all need to abide by the rule of law. And anybody and everybody in our government that refuses to do that or just plain doesn't do it, which is what Mayorkas and every 
body down there on this southern border debacle that share that thought with him. And then you have a president that he just thumbs his nose at it and says, I don't care. You want to you wanna let them come in? Go ahead and let them come in. We know what the cause is. We know what their purpose is. And they're all thumbing their noses and violating U.S. constitutional law. They must be held accountable. So my final thoughts are this. Go ahead and shut the government down. Don't give them a dime. Hold back anything and everything you have. And tell the American people, get out there and tell the American people, tell them what's going on. Do a bullet point presentation. Get the cameras, the network cameras. And Mike Johnson and his fellow leaders in the Republican House of Representatives, get up there, talk to the American people, and don't denigrate your counterparts. Don't get up there and say, nah, 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 boo-boo. Don't do any of that. Give them, show them. Have it in writing. Tell them, here are the side-by-side positions that the Democrats refuse to negotiate with. And just do maybe five pages, eight and a half by 11. Put it in an electronic format and put up an address that every American can just send a little note and say, please send me this. And make it available to every American so that they, in short form, can see exactly what needs to happen, what should be happening, and what Democrats are refusing to let happen. Don't get into the finger pointing. Just say, here are the facts. Bam, 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 bam. That can be done. I've always wondered why conservative leaders don't do that anyway. I can't get any understanding. Long time for that segment. I apologize for those of you that got tired. We've got some Pentagon news to talk about. And also our brain surgeon that runs the White House Communications, Jean-Pierre, Corrine Jean-Pierre. That's next at TNN Live. So it's this beautiful summer day, and while most guys would say, let's go to the beach, Donnie says, Hey, let's go to Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. They're having a warehouse sale. I say, are you serious? He says, Your place needs furniture, and at the sale, you can get beautiful stuff and save 50, 60, even 80%. So we go to the Pilgrim Warehouse Sale. I buy a sofa, a love seat, and this really cute dinette set. But the big thing is, we pick it out together, Donnie and me. Maybe this relationship is going somewhere. The Warehouse Sale at Pilgrim Furniture in Mattress City. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. 
I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Let me ask you a question. You all follow the news, don't you? I mean, you may not be able to be in a position where you can monitor what's going on throughout every day. And thinking about that, let me again say thank you. Many people come here and spend the better part of two hours a day on this show. Not many people are able to do that, and I want to thank you for doing that. Feel free anytime to make suggestions. I don't care what it is. If you think something that can make us better, let us know. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. You will not offend me in any way. Uh, I've been in the communications business for a lot of years, and sometimes we do it right, (laughs) and sometimes we don't get it right. We're trying. We want to get better. But again, thank those of you that are here and the ones that can hang around and do uh, an entire three hours. We appreciate what you are able to give us. Anytime you miss something, I will say this. When we do these shows, we're not doing content, talking about content, just to appease ourselves or to make it seem like we're big shots. That's not what it's about. There are facts that are buried in this, good, bad, and ugly, all rolled into each two-hour show. After the fact, go to your favorite podcast hosting site, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitch In, TuneIn, Google, iHeartRadio. All of those carry TNN Live. And if you haven't gone to that page for TNN Live and bookmarked it, do so. And every day, our podcast will come up 30, 40 minutes after the show is over on those sites. Access those. Make sure you know what's going on. And when you want to share some of the stuff that you hear, you can do that and forward at no charge. You go to your hosting site, download that day's podcast or previous day's podcast, and just click on it and share it with your friends. Give them the same opportunity to get the information that you feel like you need. And it works for you, so it's good enough for them. Israel, Middle East, chaos. And just when you think it's going to get a little bit better, it doesn't. It goes the other way. 
So listen to this Bidenism. This is how operating the Biden administration works. If something that you do or don't do turns out to be the wrong decision that was made, you never admit to that, ever. You always double down on stupid, and you deny everything that's bad. Now, that that propensity is specifically developed and was perfected in the first Barack Obama, Joe Biden presidency. Everything good that happened during their eight years, and there wasn't much of that, but they, uh, if it was good for them, they made sure they pointed out, look what we did, and thump your chest. If something bad happens, they just look back and blame it on the guys that were in office before them. You don't accept blame, and you steal an idea and its successes and make it yours. That's the way they flow. All that being said, they're out there now drumming their drums and they're telling us, we told you this Israel-Hamas thing would not, we would not allow it to stretch across the Middle East. And they're still saying, this morning, it's not happening. They insisted again yesterday the conflict between Israel and Hamas has not expanded throughout the region. That's the term they use, throughout the region. Violence escalated following U.S.-led strikes on Houthi positions in Yemen and even retaliatory attacks on U.S.-flagged merchant ships. Pentagon Press Secretary Major General Pat Ryder at a press briefing yesterday He declined to give a more detailed assessment of strikes that we in the United Kingdom have conducted on those Houthi-controlled territories in Yemen, aimed at degrading the Iran-backed militants' ability to carry out further attacks on international shipping, or the U.S. two unilateral follow-on strikes. Since then, the Houthis have, for the first time, successfully attacked U.S. flagged or owned merchant vessels, while other Middle East actors have also broadened their scope of violence. Ryder said this. This is the Pentagon spokesperson. We are going to continue to work with our partners in the region to prevent those attacks or deter those attacks in the future. We're also going to continue to work very hard to prevent the Israel-Hamas conflict from escalating into a broader regional conflict. That's their favorite talking point. We currently assess that the fight between Israel and Hamas continues to remain contained in Gaza. Biden administration folks have reiterated the actions taken by the Pentagon in the wake of the October 7th Hamas attacks are meant to keep the conflict contained, their words. Ryder declined to provide specifics on how much of the Houthis' weapons caches or launch sites the strikes destroyed or whether the latest salvo of attacks originated from the same places hit Thursday, citing concerns about operational security and whether the Houthi rebels could gain insight into the U.S. military's intelligence capabilities. Two days ago, an explosion-laid drone struck and sparked a fire aboard the Marshall Islands flag. Genco Picardi, U.S. Central Command said, marking the fourth reported incident 
since the U.S.-led strikes on targets in Yemen. Now, keep in mind, before we lifted a finger, the Biden administration let these illegals, these terrorists in the Middle East, all of the Iran proxies, every one of them, some of them don't even have names. They all took shots at us, at our military personnel in Syria and Iraq, over 150 of them. We didn't retaliate. Well, we did fire a missile or two and did a, a drone drop bomb on a few places, but we didn't do enough to stop them from doing, continuing doing what they were doing. And there's one thing about Middle Eastern fighters across the whole region. It's always existed. They look at the actions and the reactions of their political and military foes. And if you don't show a strong hand, they will come after you even harder than they were doing so otherwise. I don't understand why these pacifists, and they really don't claim to be pacifists, but that's what they are. Either that or they're scared to death to get involved in any kind of military action. But being in leadership in the United States at the top of our government comes with sometimes taking actions that you really don't like having to do, kind of like dealing with kids when they're growing up. One thing that always bothered me about three children, they were held accountable for their wrongdoing. But boy, I did not want our kids to be upset with me when what I was doing was just being a dad. And the other thing I hated and Marianne and I had this conversation more than once. I hate it when mom says to the kids, when they're at home with mom, it doesn't matter what incident happens, anytime it happens, and mom tells the kid, you wait till your daddy gets home. You're going to regret doing this. And when dad walks in the door, the kids head for the hill, hills. I hate that. But that's how the Biden administration is operating in our little piece of this Israel-Hamas war that's going on. And we have the most feckless leaders in our military. I understand that our Secretary of Defense is having physical issues right now, medical issues. We won't talk about how he blew it, I mean, in big-time fashion by checking into the hospital for that surgery procedure and didn't let anybody know that he wasn't going to be in the office when the day before he told us we've got to be on guard. We are hearing people, our adversaries, political adversaries, talking about nuking the U.S. And the next day he disappears for 10 days and nobody in the government knew where he was or nobody said they knew where he was. Our military people, they just don't get it. They just don't. And they're out there still today saying, there is nothing going on in the Middle East. The only thing that's happening is Hamas and Israel. And they don't even talk bad about Hamas now. All they want to talk about, our leaders want to talk about is, Israel's going to stop what they're doing right now. They need to put an end to this. Well, their leaders told us when this first happened, Weeks after that first happened, weeks after that continued happening, they made it very clear to not just us, but everybody in the world, we're not stopping. Hamas has made it very public. They want to exterminate every Jew on the planet. 
And they're going to do it and not quit until they do. So what the same feckless people in the military who are still claiming today, the Middle East is not, terrorist actions are not growing. It's all just about Israel and Hamas in that part of the Middle East. It hasn't heightened anywhere. It has. And it's because our foes over there, they watch what we do and what we don't do. And when we don't take actions, they're emboldened to just go harder, go faster, go wider. And that's exactly what they're doing. The Pentagon said yesterday, strikes degraded. Our strikes degraded the Houthis' ability to carry out further attacks. But our strikes only took out between 20 and 30% of the Houthis' total ability to continue launching missiles and drones at those international shipping and even our own U.S. Navy assets. Clearly, they maintained some capability, and we anticipated that after any action there would likely be some retaliatory strikes. That's what you're seeing now. That's what Pentagon spokesperson Ryder explained. Iran also escalated violence in recent days. They're claiming strikes on foreign intelligence facilities near Erbil, Iraq, and northern Syria. Tehran said Tuesday it used precision missile and drone strikes to target sites linked to the Sunni militant group Jaza el-Adel in Pakistan. In both cases, there were civilian residences and casualties reported. Of course, we did what we always did. We condemned Iran's strike in Iraq as reckless and imprecise. Woo, woo, that scared those Iranian mullahs to death, didn't it? We talk. That's pretty much all we do. We talk. We're not doing a good game, but boy, they can talk a good one. I don't want to finish the show today without letting you hear from Karine Jean-Pierre. She was confronted, thankfully confronted, by one of the Fox News um, White House workers, Jackie Heinrich, and she grills Karine Jean-Pierre about one topic that Jean-Pierre continues to lie about in television interviews of her own and even in White House press briefings. Listen to this back and forth between the two. Um, why are you repeating this false claim that Republicans voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents, even though the Washington Post gave the administration three Pinocchios for that? So we don't believe it's a false claim. Uh, our statements were very direct here. Uh, last year, House GOP voted, uh, voted, and not only did they vote for it, but they touted. They touted their Limit Save Grow Act. That's the act. Well, let me, that. And they, they vowed they, that it would they never limit, affect they, Border Patrol. They, they voted for and touted it, right? This is an act. And this would have forced the elimination of 2,000 Border Patrol agents. That's what this act that they touted, that they voted for uh, in the House. Uh, so that was their proposal, and and that was so what they, they voted for back in, in May. They, they clearly stated at that time that Border Patrol um, also, veterans' benefits and entitlements would never be impacted by any of the reductions. The, and also, the bill never had any appropriations in it. So this claim that you guys are rolling out, yeah. you know, it, it's the White House applying White House math to a bill that never had any appropriations. And moreover, 
administration or the uh, members in Congress who, you know, put this together vowed that it wouldn't affect leasing. So the reason I, I ask is because it's just, you know, to, to voters, don't you think they know the difference between, you know, what is a, a truthful statement and what is spin, and is it in, insulting to them at all to keep saying it when it was, it's just not true? <laughs> One thing that the president does not do is insult insult voters uh, or American people, to be more exact, because I want to be careful about um, about this uh, uh, what I can say uh, about this upcoming election. What I will say is, if you look at the bill, this act that they touted, that they voted for, House Republicans back in May, uh, they were it was very clear that it would have forced it would have forced the emil elimination of 2,000 border patrol agents. That's what that act would have done. We were very direct about that. We were very clear about that. This is what they touted. This is what they put out there. This is what House Republicans voted for. I mean, that's where they are. They have gotten in the way every time we are trying to deal with the border. House Republicans have gotten in the way. So we appreciate the bipartisan conversation that we're having with Republicans, so I forget, with Republicans in the Senate. That's why it's bipartisan and Democrats on dealing with the border. The border. House Republicans get in the way. They wanted to literally eliminate 2,000 Border Patrol agents in this particular act that they touted, that they voted for back in May. I've had enough of that. First of all, that's not in the act. The act did not contain any financial positions or bills or ask at all about anything to do with money. It did not. It was not proposed to reduce any number. What you just heard from Corrine Jean-Pierre, who, by the way, is the most inept White House press secretary that I've ever known. I mean, she's she's unbelievable. She's given talking points. I don't know who writes them and gives them to her. But when somebody asks a follow-up to a response that she gives when she's asked a question, she will just only ever double down on what she's already said. She will not address the reality of what the discussion should be. Just wanted to point that out on our way to go away <laughs> today at TNN Live. That's a wrap, folks. Lots of moving parts in what's going on in our lives. We miss some things just because we don't have time. Forgive us for that if you would. But we're on top of it every Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time, like today. We're going to do it tomorrow. You guys have a great Thursday. Nine tomorrow morning. We'll be back right here with you at TNN Live. Have a great day. I've been grinding so long, been trying this shit for years. And I got nothing to show, just climbing this rope right here. And if there's a man upstairs, he kept bringing me rain. But I've been sending up prayers and something's changed. I think I finally found my
Now. Woo!